out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Nice advice, Jim. This is David Eastall. This is the C86 Show. I've been working through some archives recently and thought, why not put them out there? This is an interview I did with Martin Fry from ABC, who was in Norwich a few years ago to play in one of his famous albums, probably Lexicon of Love. So this is the interview. It's unedited, but it's quality chat from start to finish. I hope you enjoy it. This is Martin Fry. Martin, David, take it away. With ABC, I've just been writing some new songs. I did a show uh, in December last year, which was a full orchestral show. Um, was that doing one album? Uh, performing The Lexicon of Love, plus about nine other big tunes from the ABC, sure. sort of back catalogue, with Anne Dudley conducting. And it kind of really, um, it really inspired me to kind of try and get back in the studio and make another ABC record sure. you know, in 2014, I imagine, by the time it's finished. So that's been interesting, writing songs again, which I hadn't done for a couple of years. And obviously the band started many years ago, about 30 years ago. So. You go through phases where you uh, tend to play live a lot, and then um, yes, that's pretty much what I've been doing the last ten years. Yeah. So, so when you did an the elder statesman of pop, yes, well, absolutely, I know. We 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 revisited the eighties with Thatcher dying, haven't we? Recently, that was surreal for me. Uh, reading the obituaries and looking at some of the coverage that yes. was taking place, uh, that was very strange. Yeah, being a child of the eighties myself, yeah, I remember distinctively, uh, vividly, nineteen seventy nine when uh, Margaret Thatcher. Um, became Prime Minister, uh, living in Sheffield at Park Hill Flats, yeah. Yeah, yes. Um, but that definitely, not that my life's like one of those BBC sort of plays that tries to cover decades, yes. but I definitely remember that as being a sea change, yeah. Well, it was quite weird because, my you know, obviously... flat in Chef. Yes. And then... But then you had your massive debut album, which, which, yeah. which kind of changed the musical landscape almost. Um... You know, when I was a kid, I grew up chasing, you know, going to see the Sex Pistols and the Clash and the Jam and the Subway Sex, Susie and the Banshees. I was kind of really into punk rock, but as soon as I was old enough to kind of think about getting into a band, I realised, along with my generation, along with guys like the guys that ended up in Duran Duran or Spandau Mm. Ballet or the Human League, The Cure, I suppose Depeche Mode, Dexes, with ABC, our music was very different. It it became... It was kind of really frustrating not seeing the clash on top of the pop. So, in a way, our stuff was a lot more populist. We wanted to kind of make music that would mm. be popular around the world. Sure. This was very much from a point of view of there was a pop charts full of very old people at the time and yeah. very established kind of acts. And then there was a lot of young bands trying to break in, which is, I guess, the story of rock and roll. Yes. Well, when you look at the. So, with um, Alex Gonna Love, uh, that came out that sort of. Period. Yeah, because when you look at the old grey whistle test, you had Whispering yeah. Bob Harris, who yeah. obviously was really struggling, wanting to play all these kind of bands, you know, very hairy men, you know, with, yeah. with, with their guitar solos and bass solos and all that kind of stuff. And then he had to introduce these new bands, the, you know, the punk bands, and his face was absolutely horrified because obviously they were two, three-minute songs, and he just didn't like it, did he? Well, you hit the nail on the head there because that was it. You know, did Whispering Bob like Brian Ferry and Brian Eno and Roxy Music? But when Roxy Music appeared on the old Grey Whistle Test in all their finery, it was just like a mind-blowing moment. Mm. Just as Bowie and uh, Mick Ronson 
on liftoff with Aisha and then Top of the Pops. You know, Bowie with his arm around Ronson yes. and this whole glam, truly glam, glam stuff. There was a lot of stuff like ma, mud and, and, and... Gary Glitter. Gary Glitter and Slade, but Bowie and Roxy definitely, and Boland definitely yes. represented a whole new world. And to be a kind of little suburban brat eating your beans on toast, watching toast. Yes. And you had the look on your dad's face when he saw the New York Dolls. Yes, he wasn't happy, was he? <laughs> Ferry in his tuxedo, or, or you know, Brian Eno. That I'm trying to think of some other acts that came along. Well, I think Sparks. There, were, there was Sparks. Sparks genius. really what a band. Upset yeah, '74. Yeah, this town ain't big enough for both of us. Uh, Pajama Rama, Virginia Plain, um, uh, Starman. You know. Yes. Well, it, really, it was 41 years That's ago that about. Starman came out. Actually, 41 years ago. This, you know, genius. which is amazing. Genius. Yes. Forget Margaret Thatcher. What about the Bowie exhibition? <laughs> yes, know, well, I went. The, 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 I've not gone yet. I went. I have to go. I went, and it was mind-blowing. Was it, it weird? Was it, did you miss the fact his clothes are there, but he isn't there? Well, no. What happened was that I was seeing clothes that I can remember seeing him live in, mm. thinking, God, that's the Glastonbury outfit. That's the one, at, you know, at um, Glass Spider, you know. and, and actually, suit. It was all there. A bit boring Glass Spider game. It went home before the end. Did you? I didn't. Yeah. I was there. I was there in Berlin, and um, it was it was a dreadful <gasps> album. It was a dreadful. Stadium. It was an awful album. It was a dreadful tour, and he hated it. And he burnt the spider in the desert when it finished. And he knew he made a mistake. And then he came and did Tim Machine. So he played got Tim Machine last week. Bus stop. I just thought I've got my vinyl. I played it. Yes, I know. It's an, it sounds amazingly fresh. Tim Machine didn't well, the, like it at the time. Well, the second album is quite nice. Yeah. So that was quite but, interesting. Um, yeah, I, I hitchhiked all the way down to uh, London from Manchester, where I was living as a kid, and saw the Thin White Duke. Yeah, um, station to station, station to station, right? Tour, and bought Isolar, the big magazine, and yeah. Bowie and William Burroughs in the yeah, and yes, and took that back to Stockport and, and walked around. You it know, was posing life, with it. a life-changing moment. So look, then, so, anyway, so then, then yeah, so that was a slight diversion. But then, obviously, you had Trevor Horn, the great Trevor yeah. Horn production, which defined, in a way, when you watch Top of the Pops in the 80s, yeah. and without the, I you know... I wanted to take some of that excitement we were talking about, and definitely that was the flag we wanted to fly in the 1980s when we existed. I used to listen to things like Joni Mitchell and think, how the hell did she do this record? Or, mm -hmm. you know inspiration yeah absolutely i do love steely dan and all those beardy acts now of course <laughs> yeah. but you know but it was a war it was like the guys over there with the leather trousers on and the long hair and the beards and then us lot there was but it was a war and that's the, that definitely kicks up the best music years later i went to uh, the wag club with mike pickering and danny rampling they were djing and there were some hip-hop djs there and there was a fight broke out between the hip-hop guys and the house djs there. oh wow and i kind of remember that in 1987 being kind of like yeah this is good this is always leads to right. something Yes, it was so around the time of Grandmaster Flash. Strong opinions. Yes, absolutely. With Trevor Horn, yeah. We'd heard Handheld in Black and White, uh, which Trevor had produced. He was in the Buggles, but it wasn't really... Trevor Horn's a brand now. He wasn't really a brand then. He was like a guy. Yes, you know. the Trevor Horn production But there was a polish, and there was like a widescreen... Grandeur. Panorama. Grandeur in the dollar records yes. that we heard. Uh, we'd already had a hit with Tears Not Enough, but we wanted to take it a stage further, so... Yeah. We'd met with a couple of producers. We like Dalek Sackin did all the Grace Jones stuff. He was a great producer. But they obviously had Sly yeah. and Robbie on drums making those records. Cool. We the rhythm section Stunning. of our time. Stunning. Yes. But um, uh, with Trevor, yeah, we met him and hit it off straight away. Yeah, he had, he had a great sense of humour. I didn't really know at the time. He, he was this lead singer in Yes at the time. Yes, he was. Tomato, <laughs> tomato. 
but he, she, we met and then uh, played him some songs in the rehearsal room and just it, it kind of took it off from there. The next thing we were recording Poison Arrow. Sure. And our philosophy was uh, we wanted to do something that would stand the test of time and would be timeless in a way. And he understood that immediately and he said, you know, put a clarinet on it then. You don't, you know, we can expand what we're doing right. beyond uh, a four or five piece band. Sure. to make the record and that, that sort of thinking went into the lexicon of love that's why it sounds kind of polished and uh, it big it's a big, big. sound isn't it's it? it's not as big as people think it is because there wasn't orchestration on every track right it's the band plus a few embellishments but it's interesting we, but we, we do remember it as this big yeah. sound that was the one that slightly defined it because it almost like after that album everybody who was trying to get into top of the pops yeah. went for the trevor horn sort of sound we wanted the drums to sound as big as we possibly could yeah so we recorded those in, so, a, in a sort of chamber sure yeah. in poison arrow there's the big drum break but you know we were definitely because Chasing obviously that. you you came with the post-punk period, but you must have found yourself being slid into the new romantic yeah. genre with, the yeah. right, with with people who obviously talking you know of um, Thatcher again, but you know kind of went that way into the world of more kind of Thatcher's Britain. And you know that... something, Thatcher's Britain is a is a, a mythology. It's like saying Cameron's Britain today. Yes. You know you can't. Ex you know people talk. I read the Economist and they talked about Margaret Thatcher as a freedom fighter. Well. You know, a friendship with Pinochet was kind of swept under the Yes. And, you know, I'm not somebody that kind of is... Respect to the old lady, she's gone. The Conservative Party booted her out in 1991, I think. Yes, that's right. John Major took over. So, you yes. know, they didn't exactly leave her with a pension, I suppose. She did all right. She if did all right. She's, she's in the Ritz. She's passed out. But what I'm saying is, look at Britain today. It's not Cameron's Britain. No. Just as it wasn't Thatcher's Britain. But there was a lot of... You know, I mean, living in Sheffield, you know, Orgreave, uh, I remember them closing off the motorway. I'm driving down the motorway, they've closed it, and police cars and soldiers are going up to battle with the miners. So yes, well, a distinctive well, well I suppose what, because um, of that age. Rotherham, uh, Barnsley, Sheffield. Derby. The mining industry. The, the Scargill Thatcher period, we, we remember it well. Because it was kind of, you know, just slightly still in that period. But there was this sort of indie pop and the but John... Musically. The, yes. Yeah. So there was the indie pop world with the, with the sort of John Peel NME. Yeah, and yeah. then there was the mainstream with this kind of... And it, you must have found yourself thinking, you know, spiritually, part of you sort of can relate to that indie pop world. But at the same time... Oh, being, totally. But being more suddenly kind of hanging out with the more Duran Duran world. Did that... Well, yeah, I mean... Uh, yeah, I mean, John Peel played uh, a couple of our records, you know, and he'd phone you up in the afternoon and tell you he was going to play it. You right. Know, indie, the NME, Melia Maker, Record Moon, that was our sure. stomping ground. And that's, that's how we came to the fore. Sure. But um, the more popular you get, the more people like what you do. Yeah, yeah. But there wasn't really a big schism, but yeah, I suppose the new romantic uh, stuff... We were kind of like a development out of that, I guess, you know, and I'm, I'm very big friends with Steve Strange now, you know, he's somebody who I run into, he's yes. highly entertaining and lovely guy. I wasn't really, I wasn't at Blitz, I wasn't like locked into Blitz, I was up in Manchester or Sheffield, sure. different, different climate. So just fast forwarding right to the, so, so you're coming to Norwich, obviously, in yeah, a couple of playing. weeks' time, and what are we going to expect on that? Well, we've been playing a lot of shows uh, all around the world, so the venue is stunning, so yes. I wanted to come... Uh, and play. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, come to the show. I mean, it's like kind of, uh, 
when you put it's great playing contemporary songs, but you, I've got to play Poison Arrow and The Look of Love and all sure. of my heart when Smokey sings the big hit. Yeah, yeah. But the band's been quite active in recent uh, years, so yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting balancing the nostalgia with the contemporary side of things. Yeah, it's important. And what is it like to still play those songs from 30 years well, ago? Do you still do your spoken word introduction? Um, do you mean on the look of love there was a space? Yeah, I, was, I like the way James Brown would always name check himself <laughs> and Iggy Pop would name check himself on Turn Blue. Yes. James Brown does it. I'll throw out all these records. I love James Brown. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I got the chance to name check myself. Yeah. So, so is it full on, you know, sort of suit? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not t-shirt and jeans, no, it's not cut-offs and flip-flops, <laughs> Avianas, I left those in Rio. Yeah, good. Yeah, no, um, no, it's, it's, it's a cosmopolitan slant on things, yeah. Right, and, and do, you, do you sort of, obviously you're still looking very well, you know. Time. Time. <laughs> you, know, do you, you know, being some, someone who sort of had that amazing period in the 80s, how do you yeah. sort of keep yourself emotionally together? Mentally it, together. Mentally, That's emotionally, spiritually, how do yeah. you do it? Listen, uh, if you think about it, the population of Britain, you turn any corner, there's going to be somebody that had a top 40 hit somewhere <laughs> the So I've always thought it'd be great to open a, uh, a hotel or perhaps a retreat for people to, <laughs> to work out what to do afterwards. Yeah. Like a sort of, you know, you could have conference centre and uh, kind of, it would be like a therapeutic uh, spa-type hotel. What's the word for that? Not an asylum. Not an asylum, but there's something... No, yeah. joking aside. But yeah. how, do you, hey, how do you cope with it? You know, I had a, I had a wonderful run of 10 years making records. and uh, I got to kind of the mid-90s and I thought, oh, yeah, there's Prodigy Blur. Right. You know, Pulp. I, I am an irrelevance. You know what I mean? I love music. Yeah. You realise you... And then, you stick around and people go, what, you're still here? But then you wait a few more weeks and they go, you are now an elder statesman of pop. So I got a doctorate yes. of music from Sheffield University. Oh, that must be nice. And I went back to my old stomping ground where I used to walk around with my fanzine. Excellent. Uh, so, I don't know, life is good. 